Welcome to the second episode of Season 3 of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. It was moving day at Mooney Valley in Randwick, with a number of horses staking their claims for spring success. At Mooney Valley, it was fan favourite Humidor, who defied punters and booked his place in yet another Cox Plate, with a breathtaking win in the Group 2 Fian Stakes. While at Randwick, Guitras yet again showed he has nature-shipped measure fresh, with a come-from-behind win in the Concord, and in the process, sending the market for this year's Everest into a frenzy. Joining me as always is the Herald Sun's leading tipster, Chris Finuccio. Welcome, Big V. I reckon you've got some mixed emotions about yesterday with a couple of your best bets just coming up short. Hello, Phil, and it was a good day at the Valley on Saturday. And You know, I'm not a fan at the Valley. I don't win at the Valley. I always struggle, but I thought that it was probably one of the best betting tracks you could have. Perfect track conditions. Most horses had their chance to win. I probably was a, had one of those days where could have gone either way. A lot of placings, but, you know, wasn't uh, too bad. A lot of great racing. I reckon uh, your best bets, you got both of them got up, but I, I think you might have been a little bit lucky with how romantic with how the track played. Why do you say that, Big V? Led from... Uh... From start to finish, did it easy in the end, really, by a nose? Well, I, think, I think as the day went on, the hard on the rail was probably a little bit inferior, which I don't tend to mind because at least horses can get off. And if you've got a really rail-biased track, it's a lot more harder for horses to win. But I think race one, how romantic led. The, the jockey obviously was going to go to the rail and, I just, and it nearly got nutted in the line. And I think as the day went on, it was apparent that that rail section was inferior. But you're not to know that before race one. Otherwise, it just showed that just, I think, how Manic was just a better horse in that field. But just being on the rail might have been its undoing. Yeah, and look, uh, as you say, you're not to know that early on. And I guess it played out that a, a couple uh, horses off the fence was the place to be later on in the day. But as you just said, I think it only went to prove that the horse was probably... Uh, uh, a little bit better than the ones that it was taking on. Well, although, you know, a couple of nice runs in behind with Palmy and a couple others. But, uh, mate, I wanted to talk about Age of Shivery. You had that as your best bet of the day. What did you think kind of went wrong there? Or did, or did it just meet a couple that were better? Yeah, I was pretty keen to take on showmanship. And you got a good price for Age of Chivalry on the Wednesday. You know, 480 it opened. That didn't last long. It was only 10 minutes and it was into $4. I was lucky to get 350 I thought... It looked to Matt to have a pretty comfortable lead and at least be two pairs in front of showmanship. But once Felicia just jumped out of the barriers, that led Chicago Cub was allowed to sit behind, off the leader and then that meant Age of Chivalry was in that 1-1 one, one spot. But when they slowed down the speed, that wasn't to his liking. I, I expected Age of Chivalry to lead, set a decent tempo and make it tougher for showmanship who was 14 back to 1200 at the valley i was keen to take the favorite on but once showmanship got the back of age of chivalry it was pretty much race over and age of chivalry was probably lucky just to nab third spot yeah and you know the jockey of showmanship willie pike you know he can cop it a little bit sometimes when he comes down to melbourne and, and tries to win but that was one of the better rides of the day really just got on the back of age of chivalry it's uh probably in the market its key competitor and just yeah went around it nicely and a really impressive win i know you were really impressed with showmanship um, and think maybe it's got bigger and better things this uh this spring yeah i wasn't 
convinced about the horse heading into the valley. I know it won well at Caulfield to start before and ran some really great sectionals, but really didn't beat much. You know, beat run down Travi, my friend. But I think in that that win at the valley, I think there was a bit of substance to that, and there's a bit of talk going to the Everest. I mean, I'm. I know Bob Peters had a couple of horses last year in the Everest, but I hope he doesn't get, you know, seduced by that race because I think showmanship might be a good chance of winning a race like the Rupert Clark and getting a Group 1. Speaking of the Everest, we saw the the big clash between Nature Strip and Geetra at Randwick and uh, favourite punters weren't too impressed when Geetra got the chocolates after taking over the lead at about the 100. Yeah, no. Probably uh, was in that group, not because I backed Nature Strip, but because I was on Geechar in the, the Goodwood when that just got nabbed on the post by trekking. And, you know, it just was excellent on Saturday. And not a, it, I think at the top of the straight, it probably looked like he was going to struggle to catch up to Nature Strip, but once it went past it, it won easing up on the line. So that was impressive. I think uh, Nature Strip, it's become a pattern now. His first up runs aren't his best. And I think the mistake I made last prep was not following him. You know, at Mooney Valley, he had barrier one, which was going to be a risk for him. But he won well. Then he won the TJ. So I think now, knowing how he performs first up, you've got to assume there's going to be a lot more improvement. It's just whether the bookies this time are going to let you on and give you a price, which they did in the autumn. Yeah, look, there's a clear pattern there with Nature's Trip. First up, that's three times in a row now that it's gone out at short odds and, and hasn't got the job done. But as you've just suggested, you know, it's done well following that first up run and, and really dominated fields from then on in its campaign. So I saw that it's gone out to $3 in the Everest. Probably a little bit early to be uh, to be jumping on at this stage, but if you are getting around that, or it may be a little bit better on the day, I think that'll still be good odds. I'm, I'm certainly not going to be jumping off Nature Strip on that. But I must say, yesterday when I saw the uh, odds and we were on a Zoom chat having a bit of a, a conversation about some of the races, and I, I did make a last-minute decision just to jump on Geetra simply at the price. I thought, it, given the... the the form of Nature Strip first up and the fact that Geetra had, had won six from seven first up, it, the discrepancy was just too much for me. So a uh, nice little win there. But having said that, next time they race, I reckon I'll be uh, probably going the other way depending on the price. It's it's just one of those things. I think you're getting that clear pattern um, emerging with those. But I guess there's still a lot of racing to be done between now and then, Big V. So um, keep an eye on the uh, on the Everest market. But, yeah, plenty, plenty, to, plenty of water under the bridge. Um, yeah, not much more I can add to that. You know, Nature Strip's still $3 for the Everest. I mean, if he wins next start, he'll probably tighten. It's just whether the bookies allow us to get on next start, they'll probably put up odds on again. Mm. Well, we might uh, have a look at the uh, our shoulder backed it for the week now, Big V. So um, for you, we're going to race six, the first leg of the quaddy in Bella Vella, at Mooney Valley, that is. Yes, uh, Bella Vella. I mean... I was on Brooklyn Hustle in this one, and not a bad run by Brooklyn Hustle. Well, I opted for him. He had the, the run under his belt. Although he was four weeks between runs, he was still at a 1,000, would have had a bit of freshness. The way the track played wasn't going to be a disadvantage, as it turned out. Uh, but Bella, Bella Vella has probably come back even better than what, what she was at the end of her last prep. And, you know, that was a, a good win, there's a lot of speed in this race by Ashlaw, who can pull out a, a good run every now and then. 
And I thought that was a really strong win by Balavella, and you're getting a, a great price. And the, uh, I probably should have leaned towards her because she would have had the map advantage over Brooklyn Hustle and Hanseatic as well from Barrier 9. Yeah, I think uh, I might have missed one with her. Yeah, some good runs in behind Balavella, but I was a bit, this easily could have been my should have backed it this week as well, Big V, I think. Uh, where, where there's races that I'm not quite sure at the moment, I'm just deferring to back whoever Jamie Carr's riding. And uh, on this occasion, she got the biscuits, with, um, which was a good win for her. And I think her second of the day at that point. But, yeah, Bella Bella, very good performance. And uh, I was a little bit disappointed to miss out there too. So you're definitely not alone, mate. Heavily supported. I think about 5 into $4. So, yeah, a lot of the, the big punters jumped on. Well, speaking of horses that uh, I should have backed, and look, to me, for me, this could have been easily Geetra if I hadn't just got on at the last minute. But I'm going to go, I mean, slightly controversially, I guess, to Humidor, who had that great win in, in the Fian um, and booked his place in the Cox Plate. Now, I'm not particularly disappointed I missed it from a, a backing, betting on it perspective, but I didn't have it in the Quaddy Big V, and that's a big miss because at about $20, it injected a lot of life into that Quaddy. I think it paid $4,000 or so in, uh, in Victoria. So, uh, look, it was a great win from the old champ. You know, I mentioned that it hadn't won. I think, I think you mentioned it hadn't won in over 700 days before that race. So probably a little bit unexpected, but missed out on the quaddy as a result of that. So, uh, yeah, a bit disappointed, particularly given there was a bit of a spruik around the horse, particularly in the mounting yard and, and sort of on the morning of the race that the horse was, uh, hadn't been looking better. Yeah, first run for trainer Chris Waller and, you know, you, sometimes you just got to assume that he can just get that little bit out of these these horses when they come to his yard and yeah I think you had uh, second third and fourth in your quaddy. It was a classic quaddy Big V and uh, first in every race except for the one I missed which I had second third and fourth in. I think you were in a similar boat so let's not uh, (laughs) (laughs) let's not um, let's not just all pin it on me but yeah disappointed it wasn't included because as I said the the dividend was certainly one to to have a look at yesterday. Uh, as for my should have sacked it, I'm going to stay at Mooney Valley uh, and uh, go to race seven and go to Agreeable. So uh, it ran fourth off a, an, a fourth in its previous start. And look, it looked a good shot early. And as I said, I like to jump on the Jamie Carr horses uh, when I'm not quite sure on a race. And I thought it might have represented some value at $5. But just the pattern of the day, I think, it was always going to be hard to, to win from sort of second last uh, at Moody Valley yesterday, despite the fact that the track did play really well. So I'm just disappointed in myself. I didn't make it a watch race, to be honest, and just have a look and see see who I might want to get on going forward. But it was an impressive win from the uh, eventual winner, Night Raid, in, in that one. And, um, yeah, just a little bit disappointed that I um, got caught up in that one and, and got involved. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up this race because I, I was one that had agreeable on top. I, I stayed out of this race as well because I just... I thought there was a lot of question marks. I mean, the one thing about Agreeable, I think it's going to be better over 14 and 16. It's just whether uh, this horse, maybe as it steps up in trip, whether it can find a, a more positive position on the map. The barrier four, and they still went back on the horse. So hopefully over 14, they can be a bit closer in the run. I think uh, first and second were pretty good. Aiden's field might be one to follow out of this race as well. Yeah, look, it ran home well, and but it just settled in a position. As soon as it settled, I thought, I'm no chance here. And then on the turn, I think 
Jamie have to have a bit of a fight with the horse next to her just, just to get it through into the clear and then ran on well but just never looked like it was going to win the race. But as for your should have sacked it for the week, uh, we're going back to race two at Mooney Valley and Skyman, who just got done by uh, Shandy, another Jamie Carr yeah. horse. Well, I don't, I don't think it just got beat by Shandy. I think it was well beat. <laughs> and I just... I was trying yeah, to be kind. Yeah, I got this race wrong. I was, it was either between Skyman and Shandy. I went with Skyman because his first two runs had been... I thought it, his first two runs had been pretty good. Maybe he just probably needed further and he's dropped back to 1,600 metres and that was a mistake. And, yeah, I probably should have just gone with Shandy and, you know, the smart money was on the winner. I know that there's a bit of commentary that, you know, Shandy was in a bit of an awkward spot in the run, but I thought halfway through the race when she was started to track up and those leaders weren't going to do too much, that I thought the race was over halfway through. Yeah, look, I was on Shandy myself and, uh, yeah, I wasn't, um, too upset with how the race unfolded. I always thought pretty confident that uh, it could get through and get steered through, which it did in the end, and, and won quite convincingly. Uh, heavily backed as well. I think he could get $4, $4.50 earlier in the week, but at one point I think it might have touched $2.50 just before the race. So certainly the punters got off to a really good start with how romantic into uh, Shandy and then a couple of races later with Junipel. But uh, a couple of the talking points for the day. I think you wanted to have a bit of a bit of a discussion around some of the cups horses, I suppose, moving forward, and two of those that returned in in pretty convincing style were Surprise Baby and Finch. Yeah, they were both uh, very um, good on Saturday. You know, Finch running third in the Chelmsford Stakes at Randwick, and Surprise Baby was second behind Humidor in the Fiend Stakes. So, I mean, surprise baby, you haven't seen her for nearly 12 months. Her last run was in the Melbourne Cup last year. She looks like, uh, or he, I always get the, uh, <laughs> the sex mixed up with his horse, but he looks like um, that he's on track again for the Melbourne Cup. It's just where, where they go to next start. I mean, I know it was favourite for the Fiend. I had the horse on top because I weren't, wasn't convinced with the rest of the field, but I don't think... They probably might have wanted to win, but a win would have given it a spot in the Cox Plate, which might have been a good step up for the Melbourne Cup, sort of like Fiorente a couple of years ago. So we're keen to see where Surprise Baby goes next. I think there's a, a win for him before the Melbourne Cup. I definitely I think, think uh, they wanted to uh, go get that Cox Plate spot, Big V. I think that was definitely the plan all along. They had it ready to go and wound up and... Probably just didn't get the run it needed to win the race. Otherwise, I think, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good thing beaten, really. Uh, surprise baby. But I'll probably go to the Caulfield Cup instead now, I'd say. Yeah, possibly. Just be, it, it did that last year where it went 16 to the 2,500 of the Bart Cummings and won the Bart Cummings. So, yeah, maybe going to 24 or the Caulfield Cup may not be yeah, out of the possibility. But if it does win the Caulfield Cup, then it will likely get a penalty for the Melbourne Cup. But then again, you know, if it's only a kilo, two kilos, you know, that's what happens. I thought Finch was excellent as well on the speed in a 1,600-metre race. I think there was a good tempo in this race and it was, and it finished strongly as well. So, yeah, I think they're both in for good preps, but I've, I've probably got to lean towards Surprise Baby because I think that horse is a winner, whereas Finch... 
you know, I think, you know, maybe 24. I think maybe the Caulfield Cup might be a race more suitable for Finch than the Melbourne Cup, to be honest. Yeah, it's always an honest performer, Finch. I think it might have even started favourite in the Caulfield Cup last year. But the horse in behind Finch, Avilius, I'm surprised you didn't raise that horse. It's come from just about last uh, to run only 1.2 lengths fourth in that Chelmsford up in up in Randwick. And I, I thought that was one of the ra- uh, runs of the day, to be honest. Um, probably on a slightly different path to the horses we've been talking about. But, gee, um, I'd, be, I'd be keen to see where it goes next. Yeah, I don't want to get sucked in by Villiers again. I mean, it hasn't won since September 2019. It's always one of those horses where it's you know where it's going to be in the run and it's always going to run on. I mean, it's been a while since its last win and and yeah, I'm just I want to I probably want to see it again next start. But yeah, I'm not going to get too excited over a horse that you know it's going to be coming from back of the field every time well mate we might have to agree to disagree on that so it's one of my horses to follow from the meeting i just thought that was i'd love to see the sectionals haven't seen them yet but its performance to to track down that field and and get pretty close in the end i thought was was huge and i'll be i'll be very keen to see where it goes next and if we can get a price um i guess hoping to take you on maybe (laughs) well we'll see who else is in the race i suppose but Another horse to follow, and I reckon this is going to be another one you, you're not going to be too keen on, is Colding, who ran, a, I reckon, a pretty good or much improved second yesterday uh, in behind Dreamforce there. And you know what? Going back the Sydney way, getting it back up to 1,600, I can see it having a couple good wins or at least a good win over this prep and probably turn around some of that poor autumn form that it did have. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the, the ratings are out of that race because I'm not... First glance, I'm not too keen about following the form out of this. I mean, there was only three and a half lengths between first and last. I think Colding has been—I mean, it's been off the boil since last spring. And yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to disagree with you. I'm not. I'm not too keen on the form of this. Ah, uh, look, I'm, I like that we disagree, Big V, and it means that I can. Uh you know, lord it over you once it wins its next start. So that's that's fine by me, mate. But um, what were your, some of your horses to follow for the weekend? I know just discussing with you on the day that Hanseatic was a bit of an eye-catcher for you. Yes, uh, Hanseatic was uh, very good as well in that Bella Bella race. From barrier nine, was going to get back. The sectionals was, you know, excellent. Another horse I'd be keen to follow as well, uh, would be dirty work coming mm. out of that nature strip Geetra race. We had a nice third out just from memory. Is that yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, out of its class, and I'd like to see maybe in an easier race. So maybe not taking on these top sprinters again. Maybe in a group two, another group two without that quality of opposition. I think this could be a good win. And another horse I had. The every everyone's probably got hungry heart in their black book for next start. <laughs> Just depends on what price you're going to get. I'm not going to get too carried away if, if we're not getting a good price. And maybe in, in one of these benchmark races in the last, uh, Ice Bath ran home pretty nicely for fourth in the last race. And I did see that the stewards did question Glenn Boss about his ride and questioning him why he got too far back in the run and maybe not taking off a little bit earlier. So... I'll be interested to see where Ice Bath goes next start and maybe if there's a, a jockey change, we'll, we'll see. 
Yeah, well, uh, no, that's some good horses to follow there, Big V. I think we've got a little bit to work with as we uh, move through the spring, but I guess it's still early days, so uh, I'm sure other horses will, will come out. I actually thought it was a catch run in that in that same race that you're talking about. It was Ice Bath. was um, definitely a horse that's worth continuing to follow. It's had a really good prep this time around, barely finishing out of the placings during that period. So just nabbed on the line yesterday by one that was a little bit better, uh, but a good horse to follow, I think, uh, out of that last race at Randwick. And before we finish up on racing, let's go to the last race at the Valley. And oh. I just... Wait, how long do we need? Now. Is this your rant, Big V? Oh, it can be a rant. But <laughs> I just don't know how the beer didn't win that race. I mean, I was counting my money at the thousand oh. when it was, you know, just tucking behind the leader... And then at the 300, yeah, I thought, yeah, let's get in the queue because you had credence and sound, you know, under a bit of hard riding and De Beers, you know, just under a good hold, making its way past, you know, the leader, River Delight. And then all of a sudden they just decided to just go, you know, decided to go past the hot dog stand to, <laughs> to the winning post. I don't know how far, I don't know why they went that far off the track. And that's just enabled credence and sound to just sneak up on the inside because that's the only way that's the only place they could have gone because they they couldn't have afforded to go even wider than those two horses i just it's just all of a sudden all of a sudden in the straight the beer is you know behind them you know well, I, I just couldn't believe what i saw it was uh, a story of a couple rides there i thought Michael Poy on, on the winner, Credence, he, he had to scrub it up at about the 600. As you say, I, I, I called Credence gone. It was going backwards. Did not look like it would be featuring anywhere near the finish. And, in fact, quite concerning the way it was going. But next next thing you know, it's uh, up there and winning the race. So a really good effort to scrub it up and, and get it into the race by Michael Poy. But but equally, my rider there with uh, De Beers, yeah, it was a an odd ride, really. He didn't want the fence. Obviously, he'd been instructed or or had decided, didn't want the fence at any part of the race and just sort of sat in that two-wide lane for the uh, entire run and, and de- definitely wanted to go around that leader rather than come inside it. And and really, it could have taken that spot that Credence ended up using down the inside and probably created a bit of a barrier for himself and, and won quite comfortably, I thought. So hitting, hitting that Mooney Valley corner wide and getting out into that less-than-ideal ground um, from last time we were at Mooney Valley, I thought was a... An un- unfortunate choice from the jockey because um, whilst it's trying to navigate the uh, the hot dog stand, Credence and Sound just zoom up in the lane where it probably could have been. So I can see why you were disappointed there, Big V, because I think that's one that's just gone missing for you there because it ended up only losing a neck, so it's still done pretty well to be in the finish. And that's that's the winner I needed to finish in the black for the day. But if I could provide a defence for Michael Rod, I think because he was travelling so well, he had to make his move. And, and get past the leader, River Delight. I probably don't think he expected River, River Delight and John Allen to go even wider as well themselves because I know the fence was off, but he didn't have to go hard on the fence. You could have been two off. But they've decided to go four or five off the track and, and Michael Poy on Credence, well, the gap was there. That's If he was going to win the race, he that's the only spot he could have gone through because he, he 
you didn't want to go any wider. Yeah, look, and, and it wasn't it wasn't a comment on the ride by Michael Rod. I think it was just a, the way things panned out that that's where he ended yeah. up. It was just an unfortunate ride, really, more than anything. They clearly had a plan going in, and I think they did everything and executed the plan exactly as they wanted. But it just happened that they got pushed out so wide that they left the uh, door open for a couple others yeah. to uh, to get the chocolates. But yeah, certainly uh, not not a sledge on Michael Rod. I thought it was just a bit of bad luck, really, in the end. Um, now, uh, we're not actually finished on racing, Big V. I know you were, you're very keen to get to the sports betting because I know you've been uh, on, the, on, the, um, on the apps really getting into that recently. But we did actually have another listener question come through this week, so I don't, I don't want that to go, go amiss. It's actually from a, from a Jack uh, from, from Rosedale. He is. Have you ever been out to Rosedale, Big V? It's uh, out in Gippsland. I actually know a bloke that lives out there. I wonder if he knows Jack, but... Jack's question to us, and I'm um, happy to split this up as needed, is what is the difference between the racing levels and how do you qualify for group racing? So Jack's asked a very broad question there. We could probably do a podcast or two just on that question. Um, you might be uh, more qualified to answer that one, being <laughs> a, a relation to a trainer. Well, mate, I might, what I might do is just give a very quick overview because, uh, as I said, you, you could probably dedicate a whole podcast to how this works and there's, there's different machinations for different races as well. So uh, we, we, we would have to go into some detail. But I guess at the lower levels, there's benchmark racing and those who have listened to the podcast for a while have heard me um, rant and rave about different benchmark levels, benchmark 58, 64 races, 70, etc. And basically what that shows is that each horse when it races, is given a rating. So a horse can be given a rating of 60, 70, 80, depending on how well it's gone. And often when a horse wins, it, its ratings will go up, so making it ineligible for lower rating races and eligible for higher rating races. So the rating, I guess, is the first point to make, that all horses have one of these. And I think Winks in her prime was in the, the 120s, uh, which is about as high as you get for a rating, up to 120s, 130s. Uh, means you're a pretty spectacular horses but equally there's horses with ratings of 30 or 40 so um i guess that's the, the first point to make so that's how benchmark racing is determined you're basically racing against horses around your benchmark of rating so if you're in a benchmark 70 you're probably getting horses between about 62 and 76 and what the rating does is just separate the horses in terms of the handicap they'll receive in that race. So a, a 76 rater is going to get a much bigger weight than a, a 62 rater, for example. So it's just a way of separating the horses. But when we move to sort of open handicaps, and as uh, Jack has asked here, group racing, it can be quite different. So I'll provide two examples, I guess, of races that are very well known and how you gain entry into those, um, particularly Group 1 races. So one of those is the Melbourne Cup which is obviously, uh, you know, Australia's biggest race and the one that's known most around the world. And the Melbourne Cup field is determined through a ballot system. So there'll be three or 400 nominations for a, for a Melbourne Cup on any given year. So there's a lot of horses that want to be a part of it, as you'd expect. But basically how they do it is that Greg Carpenter, the, uh, the handicapper, he assigns weights to the horses that have been nominated uh, and tries to come up with, I guess, what you'd say is, quote-unquote, the best field he can. So this might be based on a, a variety of factors, whatever weight's given to a horse. It could be their rating. It could be the prize money that they've earned. It could be their recent form. It also could be that they've also won some races in the past that have given them automatic entry into the, the race as well. So there's a few ways that 
the handicapper determines what weight a horse might be assigned in a race like the Melbourne Cup. There's a maximum weight, and then basically he's just determining where all those horses sit within that scale. So often horses will try to win a race just so they can get some extra weight and be rated higher, and Greg will update that quite regularly. Um, But basically you want to be in the top 24 of whatever rating scale Greg creates. And if you're in that top 24, you get yourself in the Melbourne Cup. And as I said, one of the ways to do that is through gaining entry through the uh, ballot exempt races. So there's a few of those for the Melbourne Cup. We've got the Bart Cummings, uh, the Victorian Derby, uh, the, the Ram- Andrew Ramsden, which occurs in, in autumn. And I believe Still Prince won that last year, Big V, if you remind me. Yes, yes, still Prince. Yeah, so it gained automatic access through that race. So there's a lot of ways to get into that field, but, uh, yeah, basically. um, And then when you throw in the fact that you've got all these internationals, it's quite a big job for the handicapper to try to line up how good these horses are based on their different form lines and their different prize money and also their age as well, which can be a factor in what weight they're assigned. So there's plenty for the, the, the handicapper to do there. I guess the other type of race that I wanted to talk about was the Cox Plate which is very different to what we've just talked about in the Melbourne Cup. It's an invitation-only race, um, and it's held on the weight-for-age scale, which is determined by the age and the sex of the horse, rather than the handicap, which is the Melbourne Cup. Uh, Essentially, the handicap is designed that every horse will cross the line together. So um, um, that's where how they, they sort of determine the weights there. But with the Cox Plate, it's really a race for the purest, because it, uh, the, the best horse should technically win it. Um, they're really looking for the highest quality field possible when, it, when you look at the Cox Plate, and it's widely regarded as the best quality race the country has to offer, perhaps even the world. I guess people could argue that fact. For this race, yeah, the, the, the invitations are sent out to, to, to horses and those that can, can accept or, or otherwise. There is a ballot-exempt race for the Cox Plate, and we actually saw it run on the weekend with the Fiend Stakes won by Humidor. So it'll get a run in the Cox Plate this year if it wants to participate, which is great for it, having uh, almost got the job done one year against the all-conquering con- all Winks. These sort of races, like I think the Fiend Stakes, for example, is kind of used just to encourage quality horses into that race <laughs> more than anything, uh, trying to get good fields of, of horses that want to gain automatic entry into the Cox Plate. So... Look, there's a few ways you can do it. It's very different for different races. Often different races are restricted by age or sex. That obviously plays a a key role in what horses can participate. But I thought I'd use the Melbourne Cup and the Cox Plate as a bit of an example of how different races work when it comes to to entry and also compare that to obviously the fact that benchmark racing is very different to that, uh, as, as I think is alluded to in the question there by Jack. So, uh, Big V, anything to add on that? Is that about... A reasonable synopsis, noting that we yeah. could have gone and talked about this for days. Yeah, we not much more I can add to that. I mean, I don't know too much about the rating system, but I suppose you know, in an ideal world, you know, your rating determines what races you are qualified to run in. And it made me think of that controversial Turnbull Stakes race a couple of years ago with Winks, and you had a couple of two hundred dollar shots in the race that were allowed to run, Magical and Skyfire who were just not up to the grade, and they ended up getting beaten by 26 lengths. And then Skyfire gets beat six lengths next start in the benchmark 64. So <laughs> you, don't want to see, you don't want to see that situation where horses are really out of their depth and out of their grade. You want to see, you know, horses with the right reining in the right races that they can, you know, continue to progress and 
and improve. Yeah, and look, I think that's a good point too, that there are minimum ratings that you need to have before entering some of these races. I mean, they don't want... If, if you opened up the Melbourne Cup to every single horse possible, you get thousands of noms, you know, of a lot of horses that might be very low rated trying to get in as well. So there are some minimum standards for those bigger races, and I think you've sort of alluded to it there. And there's other races like... Uh, the All-Star Mile, which, again, isn't a group race, but it's obviously a major feature on Melbourne's Autumn Carnival with a completely different way of entry into that race. And they had to uh, increase the rating scale on that a couple of years ago because uh, a few, uh, I guess, inferior horses managed to find their way into the field. Thank you for your question there, Jack. Keep them coming in. If you do have any other questions that you want uh, explained or want, want us to talk about, please do uh, reach out on our Twitter handle, at Backed It, where you can also find Big V's best bets of the day, which are probably a better thing to look at than uh, than anything else on that handle. It's also where you can find this podcast if you if you happen to find it through another forum. So we might just finish today. We're gonna, we've started the new segment this season looking at sports betting, and last week we looked at same game multis and we got a lot of good feedback about that big v i think everyone's getting involved in the same game multis and i think people also like the fact that after me introducing it you decided that you didn't like them at all and that we should all jump off same game multis so (laughs) that was that was a nice little uh nice little hit in the gut for me when you said that but anyway um this week we wanted to talk my opinion no it's a valid opinion i understand that they're a favorite a lot of people are jumping on board and very popular yeah, absolutely. But this week, again, we're going to stick with AFL. And I guess you wanted to have a bit of a talk about how the AFL sort of panning out at the moment. We're seeing, I guess, a lot of teams coming off various breaks when it comes to the footy frenzy that's occurring again now and a lot of form fluctuations as a result of that. Yeah, it's hard to... Um, there's a couple of teams that, you know, I just can't catch this season. And I think Melbourne is the main one. You don't know what you're going to get with Melbourne every week. And Hawthorne's been another... You know, we're doing this podcast on the Sunday and they were up against St Kilda and really gave them a, a really good fight in that game and I think they kicked the first three goals. There's a lot of fluctuating form that's just making it really tough to, you know, bet with some confidence. But you might be able to get some value if you're you know, prepared to take on a favourite. You might be coming off a you know, four- or five-day break. Yeah, I'm, I'm this year, I think it is challenging, but what you are getting as a result of those form fluctuations is some really good odds. And I think you alluded to it there, where uh, there are some clear patterns now emerging with teams that are off four-day breaks or multiple five-day breaks are just not backing up and performing well in those matches. So I think if you're looking at teams... A good example might have been Brisbane versus Collingwood just on Friday night, and that was our teams taking each other on. But you had Brisbane off a 13-day break and Collingwood off a five-day break. Now, I'm not suggesting that necessarily impacted the result, but when you looked at the odds pre-match, you know, you probably got a little bit more value getting in Brisbane, having getting on Brisbane in that particular match as a result. And I guess we've also seen Richmond now take on Fremantle and West Coast both off a four-day break and both off a four-day break, relocating from Western Australia, which means, gee, it's tough for them to, to shut up shop, get pack their bags, travel halfway across the country, and then play probably two days later against one of the premiership favourites. So there was probably some odds to be gained there. So I think if you pick and choose your battles with the AFL, I think you can come up with some good, um, good outcomes. I think the line's been 
two rotations down, this probably would get closer than. I was trying to avoid the uh, discussion on the game, Big V, because it didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. But uh, I was just making the point that if you do find those anomalies in the fixture, which you will, because there's some teams having buyers and others not at any given time, you will. Uh, you will be able to um, find some um, some value. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned Hawthorne, who managed to lose to Adelaide, which is um, something I don't think any other team will have done this year. But for many people, they saw that as a as Adelaide's grand final, essentially. That was their, their one last chance to win a match, and they, uh, they definitely took it, and congrats to them. Well, there's another similar situation that you've mentioned with Collingwood-Brisbane happening today, later on, with Western Bulldogs and West Coast. And the Bulldogs are coming off... The buy and West Coast are off a, I think, a four or five day break themselves, and the market at the moment has them both at a dollar ninety two. And you think under normal circumstances, where West Coast should be a clear favourite, but having the shorter break is being factored into this price. It's it's the, the bookies can't decide between the two. And for West Coast, I think it might be a couple games in a row where they've come off a short break, which is what we've talked about. So it'll be. A good match to watch and test, I guess, the theory we've just outlined, Big V. Yeah. So, but Based yeah, on that, yeah, you, you probably you know, go with the Bulldogs or even, you know, maybe the Bulldogs to win by, you know, one to thirty-nine or even the, you know, get the Bulldogs at a, you know, make try to make it a sure thing and maybe get them at a, a plus two goal line or three goal line. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think another factor there is motivation. And motivation yeah. is so important this year, particularly at this time of year where you've got a number of teams that are pretty much done now. I think from, probably from Essendon down on the ladder is pretty much curtains for them. So are they going to be looking to next year? You know, are they, are they having a bit of fatigue in the, uh, in the hub that they're in? So I think you probably want to be looking at motivation as a factor. You've got the Bulldogs who are basically playing for a chance in the finals uh, against West Coast who are looking for top four. So it'll definitely be a, a strong motivating game for both of them. But you do find games, particularly, say, Geelong-Essendon, which is also happening today, where Geelong clearly have the motivation factor over Essendon in that match. So that's another thing to, to take care of. Well, as we speak, I mean, we're doing the podcast. I don't have access to a TV at the moment, but betting is suspended in that game. And you can have a bet on Geelong at the minus 77.5 line at $1.90. So <laughs> that's telling me that All right, well, Geelong is clearly in front. I've never had such uh, quick feedback on a comment, Big V. So it sounds like that might have been franked in that game. So there you go. So um, that's something, some advice for the punters. And uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of punters are looking at these types of things, but... You, you do have to have a little bit more of an in-depth analysis this year, and I think you can find some pretty good value around the AFL when you stack up a couple of multis and you know play a couple of lines smartly. Um, it's been a bit tougher now because we got the the footy frenzy. The odds aren't coming out; they're coming out as the teams are being announced. And also, the other point I want to make on West Coast is because they're not playing in Perth, you're going to get maybe a better price for them, but they're not technically playing away they're playing you know at a neutral venue and i thought the other week a dollar 42 west coast against essendon was pretty generous yeah absolutely and i think yeah if you can find a couple of those pearls in amongst it all for sure but that's all we've got time for for this year week's episode of the should have backed it podcast as i've said earlier please contact the show at 
should have backed it Twitter handle. Um, you can also download and subscribe to the podcast and on, the, on all the usual platforms. And happy for you to write us a review as well, good or bad or indifferent. But uh, thanks, Big V. It was good to chat. Good to see you yesterday on the Zoom and, you know, watch a few races uh, and just miss out on the quaddy. But we'll, um, we'll catch up with everyone again next week and after another big week of racing. So uh, to everyone, good luck on the punt.